Welcome to Florida Basketball Hour. I am Neil Blackman, Saturday Down South. On this show, we will discuss Florida's big win over number six Tennessee in the O-Dome on Tuesday night. Uh, what what sparked such a big turnaround in contrast from Saturday's trip to Miss State? Uh, we'll talk a little bit about Florida's commitment to play big and why we think Saturday's trip to Georgia is, is an immense game uh, for this team. Um, that and much more. Hope you guys enjoy the show. Remember to drop a rating, uh, review, all that over at Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, uh, any of the places where you can you can hit a heart, subscribe, any of that stuff uh, is helpful to the show. So we really appreciate you guys doing that. Appreciate you listening and uh, enjoy the show. Welcome to Florida Basketball Hour. I am Neil Blackman, Saturday Down South with Eric Fawcett, GatorCountry.com. I think that on the last podcast, we had one of the more darker tones in the history of Florida Basketball Hour. Uh, What a difference a few days makes. Florida routes number six Tennessee uh, in a game that played out just as we suspected. Colin Castleton couldn't play. Scotty Lewis couldn't play. Obviously, Keontae Johnson out, and uh, Florida just dominates the Volunteers. Yeah, well, they may not have been able to play, but Alex Klatsky was able to play. Uh, Jack May was able to play. Those guys closed it out. So uh, good, good for them to get in the game. And man, I just I, if you would have told me that the uh, the walk-ons were getting in against Tennessee, I would have thought it was a blowout in the uh, in the other way, and that that Florida would be getting hammered. So uh, pretty crazy when it when it came out that Colin Castleton wasn't going to be able to play. Um, I thought that was uh, I thought that was going to be lights out for the Gators, but man, from the opening tip, they they looked really good, uh, and and uh, that was fun. Everything was uh, was all good, but when they went to their bench quickly, I was like, ah, oh, I don't know if these guys are going to be able to hang. But uh, not only did they hang, they were they were putting up points, they were stretching the lead, and uh, by the time Florida starters were back in and, and the lead kind of kept growing, oh, it was it was wild. It was it was it was a fun one. There's no question. Yeah, it was uh, it was a spectacular, um, you know, spectacular fun, and I think um, you know started with just kind of the the first four minutes setting the tone with Florida just coming out and and playing with spectacular effort on the defensive end. Yeah, I thought the defensive uh, defensive effort was pretty interesting. I, I definitely thought that Florida made some changes, and it was something that Mike White definitely alluded to. Uh, we talked about it on the last podcast, how Mike White said he was planning on having some guys sit in the gaps a little bit more and help on on straight-line drives because – Florida just lacks lacks some of those athletes to, to play straight up one on one defense. Uh, and we saw a really exaggerated, exaggerated use of of, of that, uh, especially in the first four minutes where, uh, man, if the, the ball was on one side of the floor for Florida, they just stacked everyone to that side of the floor. Uh, it, it looked a lot like, um, you know, back when Dwayne Casey was an assistant with the Mavericks of a number of years back when they won their when they won their championship over LeBron in the NBA, uh, they, they really started to do this. And, and right after there was a lot of teams that that really kind of followed suit where it was just like stack the strong, the strong side of the floor when you're in man defense. And it was like, it almost would look like a zone, but it was really just all the, all the defenders on the weak side of the floor going and sitting in the paint. And uh, we saw Florida do that. And, and it gave up uh, Santiago Vescovi three at one point, but, but generally, I mean, Florida's biggest issue has been has been guarding the the straight line drive. And uh, in taking that away, uh, Tennessee just (laughs) didn't seem to have an answer. Yeah, Florida was also really disciplined in their defense on Tennessee's vaunted uh, flex cuts. Like, there's that's such a good cutting team, and I thought Florida really communicated. and And when they did switch, Eric, they did a really good job of it. Yeah, that was the the biggest thing I thought that Florida did. Uh, man, I just remember these last couple of years where where Tennessee has just absolutely had Florida's number. And looking back at those games, uh, looking back at the film, it was just like layup 
layup from one of their their five men over Noah Locke, layup from their power forward over Andrew Nemhart, layup by their power forward over Kayvon. Like it was just like their bigs getting you know flex cuts. Florida desperately having to switch guards on them and them finish them finishing over the top and looking at uh, looking at the game against Tennessee this time around uh, there just wasn't that many switches there was a couple times where uh, where they you know Florida did have to switch and and Florida's guards battled about as good as they could but but yeah just generally speaking uh, the Gators were ready for it uh, they didn't end up switching as much as they, they have in the past and and man the the results were were clearly there yeah I mean uh, you know that. The the other wrinkle, I guess, that should be discussed immediately and at the top is, uh, I don't know if Florida made a, a necessarily a commitment to get bigger or go bigger, um, but there were definitely plenty of series where Florida used two bigs at the same time, despite the absence of Colin Castleton. And at least, I, I again, I think I sent you a message about analytics on a different issue last night but i was fascinated by by florida's you know what you saw in the numbers and analytics about how successful florida's bigger lineups were <laughs> uh this is actually unfortunate after you know shouting out my friends at pivot analysis um the other the other day in the podcast uh we're we're at a day later we're recording on on wednesday night they are they are yet to upload um the data from this game so i actually <laughs> have an answer for you neil which which is uh which pains me uh but that is the one pro one problem if uh if they're listening which they actually have checked out the podcast because they know that i like to cite their it. numbers but uh but yeah they're they're usually very very slow to uh sometimes it's not even the day after so uh that uh, that is unfortunate, such as right now. But uh, Matt, going back to what you you said, Neil, um, where you said, you know, I don't know if they were making a concerted effort, if it was kind of desperation. I, I think that they definitely made a, a concerted effort. And I just watched the game back about an hour ago. Um, it was something I thought um, I noticed. But, you know, I'll be honest with you. And maybe we'll ha- we'll have to talk about my experience. But I was the, I was a virtual fan in the building last night, um, which was pretty fun, but, you know, maybe wasn't paying as much attention to the game as I would be if I was in my normal, like headphones on laptop, you know, just deep in the game. So, uh, so I wanted to make sure I was, uh, uh to confirm what I saw and, and Florida definitely changed just their, their, their base kind of motion offense. And it definitely was to, it, it was definitely going from let's clearly have four guards and, and one big to let's have two bigs on the floor. Yeah. I thought the way that they went roll and replace with their two bigs, uh, uh, the way that they had uh, a little bit of setting up, uh, setting up in the one one player in the high post, one in the low post. Um, I just thought everything that Florida did in their motion offense was very clearly changed from what they have done to start the season. Uh, I definitely think that they they came in with a plan to play two bigs uh, because it wasn't like again, let's have Osayo Sifo out there as a fourth guard and have him in position where he needs to attack and, and make plays. Um, he was played as a big and he was played as a post player and looked a lot better in that role than, than he has so far this season. But, uh, but more to the point, it very much to me showed that, that Mike White is looking at playing bigger. This was, this is like no question to me. They're planning on playing bigger because they made some big offensive changes that are very much uh, too big oriented. So they have kind of a, the one thing there's a, a cultural thing on this staff. There are staffs where you kind of have established roles that get carved out early in the preseason. And obviously you can play your way into more minutes, but there are certainly staffs where there's less experimentation with starting fives, Eric, um, than, than what Mike White has done consistently in Florida. Another team that does that a lot, uh, you know, is Michigan State. Tom Izzo has always been a guy who will rotate and say, make me, make me, sh- show me that you deserve to play more minutes. You decide the rotation, I don't. Um, and that's kind of always been Florida's mentality. And I thought what was interesting was Florida combined the decision to play bigger with also like a concerted decision when they went smaller that they weren't as small. Like these lineups with Niles Lane and Samson Resensev on the floor at the same time, like, sure, you had Samson at the three and Niles at the four or vice versa, but that's still 6'5 and 6'7, which is a lot different than, you know, you're playing Noah Locke at small forward, isn't it? Yeah, especially for a team like Tennessee that's going to attack switches and try to get those smaller players uh, trying to get them cross matched onto onto the front court. Uh, I just thought it was going to be perhaps disaster if if Florida really did go like 
Quez Glover, Noah Locke, and Tyree Appleby on the floor at the same time, which happened a couple of times against Mississippi State. Uh, that would just be too many vulnerable small players on the court uh, to, to defend against Tennessee, in, in my opinion, and probably Florida, Florida's opinion, probably Mike White's opinion too, because he, he didn't put those lineups out there uh, very intelligently, in my opinion. Uh, and, uh, man, it was definitely nice, like, the, the fact that so many of Florida's depth pieces played well like it, it was a little bit of the the stars aligning and, and I, maybe that's maybe that's too strong of wording um but man like we were having conversations legitimate conversation on the podcast the other day about is osayo sifo playable is jason jatobo playable and i mean you can make a very reasonable argument that they weren't playable um both of those guys played well uh niles lane a guy has had some trouble getting on the floor uh he played really well samson resensive he had some tough moments, but man, I actually thought he looked really good in burst. And even the one charge he picked up that was like a little janky, uh, man, he ripped and attacked a closeout with conviction and went to finish strong at the hoop. Uh, picked up a charge. I, I-, I loved the take. I thought it was great. So, yeah, uh, man, the-, the ability for for really every one of those guys to play well, it gave Mike White the opportunity to try out some different lineups when it wasn't just like desperation mode every time every time his starters had to come out. Yeah, I thought, you know, yeah, you mentioned it. The things we, we were discussing on the podcast about depth pizza is obviously uh, the best that Osifo has played, certainly, uh, without question. Niles Lane did what we thought that he could do. He played really good defense against a complex offense to defend, uh, mostly because he's fundamentally sound defensively. And then uh, he, along with Florida's other wings and guards, really made a commitment to getting bodies on people. Like there were a couple early possessions in the second half when the game was still in doubt where Florida lost rebounding battles and Tennessee kind of trimmed the lead. But those weren't like the mistake game. Like Florida was bodying people and, you know, Tennessee was just fighting and getting a a rebound. And like you can live with that kind of stuff. But I thought Florida's guards did a really good job of bottoming down putting bodies on people and getting rebounds. And that's huge, especially when like Scotty Lewis is – and Keontae Johnson are the best players on the roster at doing that. You know, somebody has to step up while those while those guys are gone, and it was a collective effort. Yeah, well, I mean, by the uh, by the percentages, the three best rebounders on the Gators defensively are Keontae Johnson, Colin Castleton, and Scotty Lewis. Uh, so the fact <laughs> that those guys are are all out, I think I think Drugy might have jumped up actually the other day. That that might be an incorrect statement. Cool. But for for a stretch, those were three. Those are Florida's three best defensive rebounders, and I wouldn't be surprised if nothing else. They're three of the best four now, but. Uh, um, Actually, you know, yeah, and also Trey Mann actually started on the season on quite a heater on the from the defensive <laughs> margin, but uh, but anyways, yeah, for Florida, like. I, I mean, I got to wonder just how much it was just straight up um, looking at film. That's one thing about like showing player stuff on film. And, and it's something I've noticed from when I show film to high school kids I coach or college kids that, I, uh, that I'm that i with teams I'm consulting for. So even uh, this one pro team I consult for, like there's some stuff where you, you show them on film and you, you, sh- you show them something and you know that they just like they don't see what you're seeing and you've got to work really hard to explain it. But man, when it comes to defensive rebounding and getting a body, that is something that like you are just so exposed on the film. Like if you are not boxing out, if you are not putting a body on someone, it's one of those things that like, if if you think you're an arm's reach from a guy, you're probably like six feet from him. Like it's just, it's so apparent when you don't find a body uh, defensive rebounding. And I would not be surprised if, uh, if they showed them some, some clips and these players just realized it's like, no, like if I'm reaching out and putting my hand on a guy, that is not the same as putting a body on him. Uh, because that's kind of what we were seeing is guys were standing in the area. They put a hand on the chest of the guy that they're, uh, they're matched up with. And that's kind of like, okay, you know, like I'm aware of where he is now. Let's go try to jump at the rebound. I, I, that's just not good enough in the SEC. Right. Talked about on the other podcast about how literally every team Florida faces is an elite offensive rebounding team. They have no breaks. Uh, so yeah, this is just an example of, uh, like, I'm not going to say this game was a blowout exclusively because of the rebounding situation um but man it, it really showed uh, how much uh, how much the game can change when you just simply take care of the glass yeah no i mean look to out rebound tennessee a dominant rebounding team by eight is uh is really something else and, and tennessee still had 17 offensive rebounds i mean they had a lot of them but florida competed and and you know they they weren't getting out rebounded by 21 like they did in starkville the other thing that Florida did was turn Tennessee over a lot. Now, look, I don't think it was Tennessee's best night uh, by any stretch of the imagination, but a lot of that was Florida. And it was great to see Florida's press 
be productive with the exception of, of a little bit of, of kind of, uh, there were, there were a few, a few times where it broke down, uh, early in the second half, Tennessee got a big dunk. It might've been the first possession of Tennessee had in the second half. And then there were uh, a couple, you know, situations in the first half where it broke down, but, but Florida's press is productive and, and Florida ends up getting some easy transition baskets out of their press. Yeah, the thing so far this season with Florida's whole pressing thing has been that uh, it's looked okay against teams that are not very good, and it has looked kind of poor against teams that are good. And if you're trying to win at the highest level, uh, it's not good enough when what you want to do defensively only works against bad teams. Uh, You need to know what works against the good teams and what can get you wins over ranked opponents. And uh, so for that reason, man, it was, it was awesome to see it, to see it work. And whether it was obviously the straight, like Quez Glover ripping away the ball or Tyree Appleby going the other way for a layup off a steal or Anthony Deruji diving on the floor for a loose ball that was poked away. uh, That's all just so encouraging against a really good team. And uh, I, I think, it was the alligator army account on Twitter that, that pointed out that uh, this was the lowest points per possession in the Rick Barnes era, uh, which is crazy uh, that, that Florida was the defense. that wow. them. But one thing, like as, as much as that's incredible that Florida just held Tennessee to their worst points per possession total in the Rick Barnes era, that that's awesome. But you know, truthfully, I still just like, don't know if this team is ever really going to be elite defensively. And, and therefore, I, I think if you know you are not going to be a great team defensively, you know you just don't have the best athletes that are able to just clamp down one on one on the perimeter. I, I think you got to gamble. I, I think you've got to try to shoot passing lanes and and go for steals when guys turn their heads and send frantic doubles sometimes. And I, and I don't know if that's how what Florida's been coached to do, or maybe some players just uh, had those opportunities against Tennessee. Um, but we saw that we saw Quez Glover shooting shooting passing lanes and and coming away with steals, and we saw uh, Tyree Appleby pick pockets where where guys just turned their head and weren't aware that he was one pass away and and looking for that steal and. Uh, maybe that was just uh, those players that that saw great opportunities and took them. Uh, maybe they were coached to do so. But I, I kind of think like, hey, this was a like this is a great defensive performance, no question. But like, yeah, I just I don't know if Florida is ever going to be awesome. So so maybe you've got to be the team that just gambles and gambles and gambles. And sometimes you have a game like this against Tennessee where you just have so many steals that that turn into layups. Right. I mean, Florida had eleven steals and Tennessee had eighteen turnovers. Like you'll see games where a team is sloppy. And they have 15, 16 turnovers, and, and five of them were steals. So you know that they've made 10 errors in some other way, right? Uh, this was not that. This was – Florida was super active, uh, just active hands too. I mean, how many times did Tennessee get into the paint, to your point at the very beginning of the podcast uh, tonight about, you know, Florida's defense on straight line drives where Florida just slapped at balls and balls came loose, and, and Florida was able to, to gather the ball – on their own end and, and whether it led to early shot clock offense or not, you know, that kind of stuff is, is huge. And, I, and, and uh, yeah, I mean, probably the best game that, that quest Glover has played at Florida um, because, you know, I think he was put in a position with the plan to, to play to his strengths. And obviously, uh, you know, maybe some of the Tyree Appleby defensive energy, like Tyree, knows that he's not going to be the most physically gifted half court defender, but he also knows that, you know, he has quickness and athleticism and he can impact the game by playing smart and taking chances uh, selectively. And I think some of that is rubbing off on Quez Glover, to be quite honest. That's a tough, tough, uh, tough situation for him to try to get minutes when you've got Trey Mann and, and Tyree Appleby um, on your team. Uh, but yeah, I, I, de- I definitely think this is the best game he's ever played. I mean, I don't even think it's close. Like this is slightly, and I don't know if any of them are listening to the podcast, but there's a few guys on the Gator country boards that, that really have gotten into it because last year I pointed out that I didn't think Quez Glover was, was very good and shouldn't have been played really at all. And there were some of them that said like, Oh, look, Florida won this blowout game. And it was because he played 20 minutes and at 10 points or 14 points. And I, I mean, what, what they would use as evidence is, you, you know, like, I guess the most points he had was against Marshall. Um, he had 11 against Long Beach State, too. I think he had 10 against Providence in a blowout. I think he had 10 against Miami in a blowout. So, like, yeah, he played pretty well against you know, Providence, but you're right. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, uh, yeah, he, he certainly, I'm not trying to just say, you know, like, he, was, he wasn't actually good. You're um, not wrong. Then, 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 when he, then when he got into SEC play, uh, yeah, it, just, it was a different story. So, um, 
for him to play this well against Tennessee, uh, a very good Tennessee team. I just, I just think this is clearly, clearly the best game he played, uh, man. I, I love watching him defend. I, I love seeing him get in a stance, move his feet laterally. Uh, he just like sits down in a stance and just like does not move from that. Like the guy could probably do a wall sit for like an hour straight. Like it's just incredible <laughs> to see him. And that's what you've got to do as a five ten player. You've got to get underneath guys and make it uncomfortable for them to put the ball down. Like, like literally, you have to make it uncomfortable for them to say, "I'm going to have the ball." leave my hand and bounce it against the floor because I've got this 510 guard under underneath me. So so for him to just really get into the jersey of the guy he's guarding, I, I thought it was just so impressive. And I'm just very glad that it, it came away. Um that it came away with <laughs> Nielsen. Uh you know, if I, I, I still do have to mention though, um, him sprinting into uh, pull up twos in transition, uh, hit a oh. couple of those, uh, good for him. Uh, oh. but yeah, you know, he, he played so well defensively and, and he did hit those shots. So, I mean, what will, uh, we'll give it to him this time, but we know that, uh, we know those shots are, are probably not going to continue to fall at a high rate. Yeah. He made me pretty, the, the only time he got me upset last night was when he took an early shot clock two that he made after passing up. A wide open three. <laughs> and I thought, you know, Quez, you should not ball fake. Like, if you ball fake, I shouldn't say that. If Quez Glover ball fakes, he should be driving to the basket because he's actually kind of crafty around the rim, right? Like, please don't drive. Please don't ball fake and then take a, a shot three feet away from where you ball fake. Well, and, and, and here's what you're seeing in the NBA and will eventually filter down to college where th- that shot will not exist. And what it'll be is the pump fake sidestep, take a dribble three. And for Quez Glover, who likes to shoot off the dribble more than he likes to shoot off the catch, that's the shot he needs to be taking is pump fake a guy, sidestep him, take, uh, if you get him in the air, then take a sidestep, take that one dribble and then pull up. That's what you see like Duncan Robinson do better than anyone. And I know he's a very yeah. different, uh, very different sure. size than... Uh, than Quez Glover and you know like like JJ Redick incredible at that but that that is the new like you know like old school coaches just love the ball fake get your guy in the air take one or two dribbles pull up long two that that shot will be uh you know you'll be seeing that in the prehistoric records here uh frozen in amber pretty soon it's going to be the uh the pump fake sidestep three I'd love to see uh, I'd love to see Quez Glover uh, add that to the to the repertoire yeah it's not like for like because he's not as good a passer and obviously wasn't uh, nearly as, as highly valued as a recruit uh, and does not have the range. But the way that he gets after it defensively uh, and his motor and the way that he's kind of fearless in attacking the basket are things that I think portend brightly for Quest Glover's future as kind of an Irving Walker type of impact player as an upperclassman. Um, you know, I don't know if he'll have – uh, the numbers that Irv has, but I guarantee you that these minutes are going to, I think the minutes are going to increase for Quez as his career goes along. And I thought tonight could be like a real turning point for him where he realizes, Hey, or yesterday night, uh, you know, Hey, uh, I belong in, in big time college basketball. Like I thought I did. I didn't really lack for confidence, but even guys like Quez, like you kind of have to have that kind of game where you just wait a minute. I'm right. I'm right about being confident. And, you know, we don't talk a lot about intangibles or psyche on the podcast because we're not around these players. But but I'm telling you, these are the kinds of games that that if you're around players, both of us coach players, you know, these games can be huge. They can set, you know, kids up for for big, uh, big runs of, of good form. And maybe maybe that's where Quest Glover is headed. Uh, you know, we will see. I thought it was just so important that he played well on a night where. You know, Trey Mann put limited minutes in the first half. Uh, Anthony Derugy limited minutes really in the whole game um, for Florida to get that kind of contribution off the bench and really from their whole bench uh, was immense, including, uh, you know, Niles Lane and Osifa, who we talked about. Lane played, played 18 minutes. Yeah, once again, just uh, you, you and me, our competition of who's going to play more between the 10 7 lane has just been an absolute roller coaster. Uh, this is must, must watch TV, is, uh, it, it varies, it, it is very greatly about, you know, regarding who has played more. But uh, man, you, Frick, I'm also terrified of Trey Mann, who just continues to. Uh, pick up his man full court and run into some heavy screens coming back defensively, especially for a guy that has had concussions. Oh, oh man, I do not like seeing that. And I, I hope he's, hope he's all good from that. But, uh, 
man, just when you were talking about him getting more minutes, I'm like, man, I certainly hope Trey Mann is, is okay. Cause uh, yeah, yeah really, really hate him running into those screens and then grabbing his neck as someone with concussion uh, history. Uh, but yeah, he played great. Um, you know, Chase Hinchitobo, another guy that uh, we thought was, uh, but well, I, I would have said it. I, I forget if I said it. I would have said it if I didn't, that he was unplayable. Um, apparently, we both said it. Yeah, apparently, uh, apparently he is. And uh, man, my, so this is, okay, this is my one story from uh, from being a virtual fan. So so I'm a, a virtual fan in the Zoom place. And they're like, uh, they're like, hey, so like, you know, if there's like a big dunk or big play, like, you know, get shows show energy. And um, uh, so for me, I mean, like, OK, I'm, I'm into the game. I'm locked in. And there was that play early where uh, uh, where Jason Jatobo got in the game a lot earlier than you thought. And, and he got switched on to a guard. And uh for like three seconds and like multiple sides of his feet, he was staying in front of the guard and I was getting fired up about it. Like with, with every dribble that Jason Jatobo stayed in phase with the guard that was trying to attack him and with every lateral movement where he plugged up the dribble drive attempt, I was just getting more and more fired up. And I'm like the only one in this Zoom chat that's getting fired up. And then uh, then I, you know, very quickly on my screen, on my Zoom, see, uh, see myself get muted. And then the person who's running the game is just like, yeah, so we're probably actually only going to cut to you guys like at commercial breaks, not not during live play. And I was like, oh, okay. So that was my uh, that was that was my way of learning our our role as virtual fans. So so at first, uh, you know, I was getting pretty fired up about that uh, perimeter defense by by uh, by Jatobo on the switch, and uh, you know, eventually got myself muted on the Zoom chat. <laughs> I like it. I like it. So let's talk briefly about Florida offensively. Because uh, I think we do need to give some credit to a team. Anytime you can go out and produce 50% field goal percentage while only shooting 31% from three-point range, uh, and Florida did not shoot a lot of free throws. Uh, Tennessee was the only team allowed to shoot free throws for at least a full half um, until the referees allowed Florida to shoot free throws in the second half. But 75 points against the team that came into the country second in the, in the nation – uh, defensively, and obviously Florida did it without a lot of their key pieces. Yeah, it was bizarre. I, I, I couldn't believe how poor Tennessee looked defensively at times, and that's not to take away from what Florida did, or maybe it's taking away from them slightly. But, but I mean, for example, <laughs> I tweeted this out. There is no universe in which Noah Locke should be blowing by Eve Ponds for, for layups, and that happened. Right. Um, there was a couple of moments like that, that I was just like, man, what is, what is going on here? Tennessee just does, does not have it. But, uh, man, at the same time, like I said, uh, I, I thought Florida really changed their offense and I thought their spacing looked so much better. Uh, everyone is so obsessed these days with like four out or five out, uh, because you see it in the NBA. But like the thing that I don't think that people realize relative from like NBA spacing to like college spacing is like for, for NBA players to like successfully space the floor with four out or five out to the point that they're not so close to each other on the, from the corners to the wings. So that, um, so that one defender on the weak side can kind of split them and take away the pass to both. Like they're spacing it out to like 29, 30 feet. Like it, it is crazy. The difference between how much they space it out on an NBA floor versus a college floor. And oftentimes I, I think that that's what happens where in, in college where you play four out and suddenly you're at a point where one defender is only a few feet from, from each player who's you know spacing the floor are supposed to be stringing out defenders uh be, but because they don't want to space it out that deep that they can in the nba because they're not world-class shooters yet uh it just makes them easier to guard so i thought florida spacing where they were really optimizing to playing two bigs at, at a time with a guy always in the dunker spot uh so there'd be there, no matter what the action was it always seemed like like either Osifo or, or Payne or Jatobo when he's in there, when they were there for the drop-off, I just thought Florida spacing looked so much better. And it just seemed like there was like so much more breathing room for, for Tyree Appleby and Trey Mann. And I thought that their, uh, their, their ball screen attack looked so much better. And, uh, but I, I will definitely credit Mike White. Like Mike White said in a press conference the other day that, um, uh, that he wasn't going to be able to really revamp the offense while he's prepping for SEC games. Um, so maybe they already had this kind of, ready to roll or maybe he was uh maybe uh maybe he uh, could actually change the offense better than better than he once thought because yeah i thought florida made some distinct changes and uh, i thought it worked really well well it was interesting like you talked about the tone of his press conference after the miss state game we talked about it a little bit as well uh not just you um and then you know i watched the replay after being in the building uh so i guess 
you know, having the broadcast was a little different, but I guess he, he said something to, to Dick Vitale and, and Carl Ravitch about how furious he had been with the team uh, in Starkville. And then, you know, maybe, maybe they did, maybe, maybe he just decided, you know what, I need time to revamp the offense too. Like we don't, we don't know, you know, maybe he wasn't necessarily being coy cause that's not really the Mike white way, but you know, maybe he just got so mad. He said, all right, we're going to try something different. Let's see if this works. Uh, what else, what the hell else do we have to lose? And, and uh, it worked. It, it wouldn't surprise me because this, this, if we know one thing about this staff, it's that they are, they are humble enough and have proven themselves to be humble enough to kind of admit when they get something wrong. Uh, you could argue they're too pragmatic really. Um, and that creates identity issues. Right. But uh, certainly not last night. What was interesting to me, Eric, is it seemed like the offense ran better with, with and through Tyree Appleby, which isn't to take anything away from what Trey man does, but he was six of 11 from the field, had three assists, 12 points, added a steal, you know, was a, was competitive on the glass. Not anything against him. It's just I wonder if, you know, he's more of a combo guard and Tyree Appleby has become the point guard. Well, I've always thought that at the NBA level, uh, Trey Mann isn't a point guard. Um, but it's weird because, like, man, he he has, like, such a tight handle and just can get in uh, in and out of dribble moves so quickly. And that, you know, that's kind of point guard skill. But at the same time, I just think he sees the game a little bit better as as a guy who is the second guy to touch the ball. And we saw that a couple of times, like, well, first of all, these the two ways that I really saw it was uh, well. First of all, let's let's talk about the first bucket of the game where Trey Mann backcuts a guy and, and gets a layup off it. He had a couple of those moments with him attacking closeouts or backcutting his his man um, that you know he simply doesn't get that opportunity if he's the point guard is is the guy with the ball in his hands. It was him making moves with his feet and uh, and being able to use his quickness and first step in a way that he just doesn't when he's the uh, the quote unquote point guard. Um, so so that looked really good. And then the other thing I liked. Was was in transition where Tyree Appleby got the ball taken out and then he pushed the ball up in transition or on the secondary break to Trey Mann, who, I mean, the, the first thing that I saw was the sexiest play was when um, he caught the ball on the wing and then just, uh, just like hesitated Santiago Vescovi into oblivion and then went and, uh, <laughs> yeah, and laid the ball. And I just, oh, that Trey Mann's hesitations just get me mad. I just think like that, the subtlety to those plays, just like, oh, it's, it's so nice. And, um, I, I just love it. And, and again, once again, it was a play where he was able to catch the ball. A defender had to go and close out to him and he was able to make a play off of it. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, I really did like the look. Uh, I really did like the look of Tyree Appleby as a little bit more of the primary, the primary ball handler. Um, it'll be interesting to see who's, who's maybe a little bit better out of, out of ball screens. That'll, uh, uh, especially passing out of ball screens. That's, um, you know, maybe maybe you have an opinion, Neil. I'm not totally sure who I think is better better with that. Uh, but I've got to say, seeing um, seeing Tyree Appleby, the, the way that he distributes the ball, uh, to see the way that how it looked when he was pushing the ball up to man in transition versus the other way around, uh, to see Trey Mann uh, attacking off ball reversals and, and backhanding his guy. I mean, man, it, it, it worked really well against a tremendous defensive team. So it's kind of like, I kind of hope they go back to it. Yeah, well, Florida had 15 assists, but they had, what was interesting to me is that they had seven guys with assists. Um, and so that means that there's a commitment to sharing the ball a little bit. And some of it, I think, is that it's different, if this makes sense, that, that offensively they're doing different things when Trey Mann is the primary ball handler and Tyree Appleby is. Like, Trey is going to be more dribble dominant. He's going to be a guy who's going to look – to create for himself, I think first they're going to isolate a bit, a little bit more because of that. And you know, the natural response that every action has its equal opposite reaction, and and the re reaction to Trey being more ball dominant is the ball doesn't move as much. It seems to move more with Appleby. I, I, I do think it does. And, and part of that is I do think that uh, I mean, I think Tyree Appleby's just would I'd have to call him a better passer. I mean, that was one thing that was crazy. His assist rate um, his first two years, um, he was 37th in the country and then 12th in the country at Cleveland State, which is just absurdity, um, especially let me remind everyone that his teammates were not very good. Um, so so for him to get that many assists playing with guys that are poor players. 
Um, yeah, just super impressive. So I, I, I think that Trey Mann's a pretty good passer. I don't think he's a great passer. I do think Tyree Appleby's a great passer. Um, and I do think that, uh, I, I think even, uh, again, these, these teams that are, were, were trapping Trey Mann and, and getting into his body a little bit. It's just, it's just tougher to do that with the tiny little guard, like, like Appleby, um, who's just so slippery. <laughs> Um, we'll have to see. I mean, we'll, we've obviously got a little bit more sample of, of Trey Mann running, running pick and roll. Um, it's starting to come up with, with Tyree Appleby. Uh, but yeah, I, I, I man, I think you just clearly played your best game of the season. Um, I, I think we'd probably, you know, I might call it the best, their best offensive game of the season. I, I haven't put much thought into that, but certainly their best overall game. And yeah, thought it looked pretty good with, uh, with Matt off the ball there for a bit. So, uh, uh we'll see what they go to next. Yeah, I don't know how much Boston College plays defense, so it's hard to like right. evaluate this vis-a-vis vis-a-vis the Boston College game. Certainly, their best offensive effort uh, without Keonti Johnson, um, and so I think that's kind of what we have to evaluate things by. Um, it will be interesting. Let, let me ask you this before we get into Georgia: um, Do you think the return of Scotty Lewis? affects what Florida's trying to do a little bit. Oh, this was this was my question for you, Neil. Well, some, <laughs> something similar. I, uh, I, I mean, Matt, well, the, the Ewing theory um, questions are going to come. It's, it's, there's always, you know, if a team loses, not, well, usually it's their best player for the, for the Ewing theory. Um, we'll say two of their, their best, best players. Um, I would, I think most people would have Colin Castleton and Scotty Lewis somewhere in the, you know, whatever their top, I don't know. We'll say four. I, I haven't put too much thought into this. Two of Florida <laughs> starters um, are out, and Florida gets a massive win. Um, I, I would say the most impressive win in the the Mike White era, at least in terms of like you know regular season. Um, the the previous game for that would have been would have been Auburn a year ago. I think Tennessee this year is is better than Auburn was last year. Um, and if, and of course to remind people, you know, like. I, I, the Gators are undefeated with me in the building. And I was there as a virtual yeah. fan against Tennessee. You know, Denver Parler tweeted out the biggest wins in the Mike White era um, or the last couple of years. I forget if he said inherently the Mike White era. Last go. And, that you know, the, 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 two, the two biggest wins were, were Auburn and Tennessee. I was I was in the building for one and a virtual fan for the other. It's just, you know, it's I, I have that effect. I'm undefeated with me in the building in the Mike White era. So, um I, I think there's always questions with uh, when, when you get these big wins, not playing uh, when you don't have some of your some of your starters. So I was going to ask you, Neil, what you thought um, regarding that. Do you think there's anything to the fact that Florida played better th- th- or their best game of the season without these two? Uh, but man, in, in terms of Scotty Lewis, I mean, I, I think he's a guy that Florida doesn't run much stuff for in the first place. And he's a guy that I don't think they should run stuff for in the first place. So I would hope that it's not like, well, like Scotty Lewis is coming back. Let's get back to the dribble drive where he has historically not been not been great. Um, I, I, and you know, you talked about how many how many players had assists for the Gators. Um, I, I we we both think that Scotty Lewis is a really good passer. So if he can be used as someone who can keep the ball swinging side to side and the ball doesn't have to stick in his hands, where or 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 make him drive in situations that he should technically drive within the dribble drive, uh, I, I think it could could totally work and. It definitely seemed like Omar Payne's rhythm was a little bit more there as a starter than than it was uh, coming off the bench some of these games. And maybe there's something to that. I mean, you play him 27 minutes versus 10 minutes and, you know, a player's just going to get in the game a little bit more and in the flow of things. Uh, but uh, but offensively, I mean, he was catching lobs that even Colin Castleton, who's uh, still pretty tall and can jump all right. I mean, he's not he's not catching some of those lobs that that Omar Payne did. So, uh, it, it'll be interesting when when those players come back. But uh, I, I, the other thing too is you know well two I've said this a hundred times already. I think Florida has very much changed their offense, or at least they showed against Tennessee that they're changing some of their offense to uh, to incorporate two bigs. So it, it kind of only makes sense to me that they're, that they're ready for Colin Castleton to be in there. And I think when it comes, I think we're going to see some uh, some Omar Payne, Colin Castleton action, which I would love because uh, it will be a throwback to last year when I just lamented the fact that Florida stopped playing Omar Payne and Kerry Blackshear together. Um, you know what? That... That sucked. I, I think that Florida really missed not playing that those two together. Um, but hey, there's uh, there's always a chance for for retribution. It is not too late. If if it works anywhere near as good as Omar Payne and Kerry Blackshear did with Omar Payne and Colin Castleton, uh, let's roll with it, please. Yeah, look, I mean, I think uh, I think that if anything comes out of this game, it's probably that 
another thing to think about with Lewis is, is maybe it helps him become kind of what he's best at defensively. Because if you got two bigs, it pushes Lewis more, you know, out to the perimeter and maybe he's a little less prone to attack a closeout wildly because he doesn't have quite as many responsibilities dropping down uh, to help inside that kind of thing. I think, you know, so I could help him on the defensive end. Basketball has the baseball version of war, uh, you know, wins above replacement. Uh, and theirs is the PRPG stat. And it is interesting to me that, that like Scotty Lewis uh, is, is second or tied for second with Trey Mann on Florida's team in that statistical category. So uh, behind Castleton, obviously being uh, first at 3.8 and Lewis at 3.3 with Trey Mann. Um, so, Theoretically, what's that's that's three points above replacement or three point three. Florida lost to Miss State by three, so that gets back to to the point you made uh, on the last show. I'm not sure that that you know having Lewis back really disrupts any sort of rhythm or or kicks in uh, Ewing theory stuff. It just seems to me like he can do a lot of the things that we saw Niles Lane do. I still hope that that Niles gets his minutes because. He can obviously defend, but, uh, you know, I think all in all, anytime you can get a leader of Lewis's caliber back, uh, that's a big thing. And I think Florida will need it uh, Saturday when they travel to Georgia. Here's my hot take on this before we get into the dogs. I'm kind of glad that they pulled this game against Kentucky out Um, because, you know, I've watched so much college basketball over the years that – the, the complacency and psychology of 18 to 22-year-old kids is a thing. And Georgia just winning a huge game on their home floor. Uh, a young team that they're not particularly young, but they're certainly new to playing with each other. Um, you know, maybe, maybe they aren't quite as hungry and desperate as they would have been uh, with their rival coming to town uh, on Saturday. And, and as Mike White learned early in his tenure, Eric, Georgia certainly treats Florida as, as a huge basketball rival. Florida's had some issues sometimes in that game matching Georgia's intensity. Hmm. Uh, yeah, I mean, Georgia is a team that, uh, man, I, I, the, the Tom Crean vision um, for it all uh, is, is tough sometimes. I mean, I, I, I thought Tom Crean was like a, a little bit I, – I mean, I liked the hire um, at the time. I'm – not in retrospect, I uh, don't think I, I should have been as, as high on it. Uh, he's a he's an interesting one, man. And just seeing him walking the sidelines, drinking his taking off his mask to drink his Diet Coke. I'm like, this is a weird dude. So we can watch for that. Let's see how many Diet Cokes he he knocks down on the sideline. Uh, but it just adds to the weirdness that is Tom Crean. And, and man, he just also <laughs> just seems to attract some. So some weird results. So so for them to be Kentucky, I mean, yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, they've had some pretty interesting kind of games. Like, obviously, they lost four in a row, but like they lost to LSU in overtime. I mean, I, I still think LSU is, is a really good team that is like yeah. taking on more losses than I thought they'd take. But like, man, I just yeah, I still I still think they're pretty good. And um, and, you know, they, they handle Ole Miss, who I thought was pretty good. And then they beat Kentucky. And it's like, well, Kentucky hammered Florida. So Georgia has to be feeling pretty good about themselves. Uh, and, and I mean, talking about their intensity, something that I do think is pretty interesting. Um, uh, so, I mean, going back to our um, couple podcasts ago where I was shocked to learn that Florida, every team that Florida plays going forward is, is a really good offensive rebounding team. One of the teams that really shocked me by that was, was that Georgia was such a good offensive rebounding team. They're currently 26 in the country uh, because for most of the game, they play um, a six foot eight guy at Canberra at center. And then they oftentimes play um, six, six at, at the power forward spot, but, and then a six, three, like Ty Fagan at the three. So, I mean, they, they play small, um, but man, it certainly doesn't seem to hurt them on the glass. They, they, they play hard. They run really hard in transition. They run hard to get back in transition. Uh, yeah, they, they, they are a hard playing team. And, um, so it's, 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 uh, uh they're going to play with some intensity. There's, there's no question. So if, if Florida, you know, decides to come out flat whatsoever, uh, they will be a, they'll be a, you know, pretty tricky team to, uh, to, to contend with, with Georgia. Yeah, it's it's a big game for Florida to build on this Tennessee momentum. I think it's important that they go up there and, you know, Mike White, I'm sure, is going to preach and preach and preach the next couple of days. we got to match that effort. Florida had the mandatory day off today, but uh, they get back on the floor tomorrow, and I'm sure, you know, the message will be, 
hey, don't feel good about yourselves. You, you know, you lose Saturday and a lot of the goodwill that we gained from this is is lost because Georgia is two and four in the league. And, and yes, they've won their last two games, but, you know, they also got run out of the building by Arkansas by 30. So, you know, I don't think we know quite yet what uh, – what Georgia team is going to show up. One thing that Malik Grady loves to point out to me when I rip on Tom Crean, because I never liked the hire to begin with, is that Crean brings in all these big-time recruits. And that's true. He has signed six top 100 uh, recruits in his tenure, uh, his first two seasons. That is as many – this is for you, Malik. That's as many as Mark Fox signed in 12 seasons. (laughs) Now – He's also 9-33 and 33 after tonight's win in SEC play. Mark Fox's worst stretch with players who weren't in the top 100 was 16-26. and 26. Um, That was his worst 42-game stretch. So seven games better than the worst stretch – than the current stretch that Crean is on. Crean has never won three SEC games in a row. He's going to try to do that Saturday. Um, and, uh, you know, Crean has – caused there's some excitement having a name coach they sold out a bunch of games it was a, a packed house both the times they played florida in the Crean era there i think that they feel like you know there's energy around the program but the wins haven't come anthony edwards being the top pick certainly generates energy they just haven't had the victories and to that end eric uh a little bit like another team that we talked about earlier this season in LSU, although for different reasons, uh, LSU more of an NBA exodus, Georgia more of a Tom Crean doesn't like losers and talks about it real loud and weird while slurping Diet Cokes. <laughs> um, they overhauled their roster in the offseason. I mean, there just aren't – they signed this top 10 recruiting class and it's almost all gone. I mean, the, the guy that's left is uh, doesn't play much. Um Christian Brown. So I think that's his name. Yeah, that's right. So, uh, you know, they, they brought in eight new faces. And one thing that they did, Eric, was get older after being super young. They, they brought in three graduate transfers. Those guys play a lot of minutes. And then they they all kind of stir the – they, they're all the helpers for the guy that stirs the drink, which is their point guard, uh, Severe Wheeler. Yeah, Severe Wheeler is awesome. Just a little, little guard who uh, plays tough and, and can really pass the basketball. I, I, I don't know how many – this, um, this, I guess, is a very, like, Eric Fawcett thing. I have no idea how many assists he averages a game. Uh, but I know he's 27th in the country in assist rate. 7.5. Um, so 7.5. Wow. So that's, uh, that's super impressive. And, and he allows them to play fast, which is something that, that Georgia does really well. Um, I've got to say, you know, that is uh, – that is one thing that you can say about Tom Crean and, and his identity is he has wanted to play fast and and they do, which you know what, not a lot of coaches actually deliver on. So, so there's a point for Crean. Um, but uh, yeah, Wheeler's someone who is really able to to push the ball. Uh, someone who just like it's just crazy. Like I I feel like he can run faster with the ball in his hands dribbling than like without it, which I'm sure is obviously not true. But I swear it's like an optical illusion. Um, if you watch him and. Uh, and, and yeah, he allows them to to get that initial push, and 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 that is very important to to Georgia because I don't think they're a great half court offensive team, so so they need to score they need to score in transition if they're if they're going to put up any points. Yeah, they're not. They're twelfth in tempo though, and fifteenth in average possession length. So they do play furiously fast. They didn't play that fast last season, uh, and and Tom Crean said part of the reason that he overhauled the roster was he wanted to play as fast as his teams at Indiana. Um, you know, for some perspective, they were 64th in tempo and 60th in possession length last season. So they were playing quick. Which is still very, very fast for a, for a high major team, I will say. Yes, but but not at this frenetic rate that they're playing yes, at yes. Uh, this season. It's pretty wild. Uh, I think the best of the grad transfers, there could be an argument here, not between Eric and I, but maybe if Tom Green and I were sitting in a room. Uh, I know he thinks it's P.J. Horn. Uh, because one thing that Georgia was terrible at last year was shooting the three. Uh, they finished um, 322nd in the country out of 350 and three-point percentage. This year, they're much better at it. Um, you know, and I say much better when they're 230th, but that's almost 100 spots better. And P.J. Horn is a big reason why 
Uh, he is a transfer from Virginia Tech. Shoots about 37% out there. They play him all over the place, uh, a little bit like Florida uses uh, or used Keontae Johnson, a little bit like Florida uses Scotty Lewis. They'll play him one through four. Um, and, you know, he can come outside and shoot from anywhere. The other transfer that I think is is pretty electric is a guy named Andrew Garcia. He's electric for different reasons, um, mostly related to what he does uh, on the defensive end and on the offensive glass. Eric talked about how you don't get much of a break if you're the Gators. He's 58th in the country in offensive rebounding percentage, so, so one of the SEC's best offensive rebounders. Yeah, not not someone who's super big. Um, I mean, he came to uh, came to Georgia and got the uh, got the bump to six foot six. Though uh, uh, he was listed at uh, uh, he was listed back at Stony Brook as six foot four. Um, so I mean, hey, maybe it's uh, maybe at you know age twenty two or something. He comes to Georgia yeah. and uh, <laughs> um, gets gets what they feed their football players and jumps up two inches. But man, he's he's also like Keontae Johnson, who I know Keontae Johnson is listed at six five, and I'm I, I, I don't know if he's actually even six <laughs> five. Um, but uh, uh, but yeah, he's someone who's who's tenacious and just there's some guys that just have a nose for the ball. Like I, I don't know what it is. That's tough to quantify. Some guys just like their hands are just magnets for offensive rebounds. They just seem to know where to go and and. He's a guy who, uh, who does that really well. Uh, not a shooter, um, not someone who has a you know a particularly like defined skill set offensively. But he just he just finds places to be. Um, uh, something I thought was pretty crazy just about the Kentucky game. Um, you, so he had 16 points, and I'm pretty sure a bunch of them are offensive rebounds. And it's just crazy because he had six offensive rebounds and zero defensive rebounds. Um, so that just you know speaks to his effort on the on the offensive end, where it wasn't like he was he's someone who's always gets to hang around the rim and feast on defensive rebounds. He's he's going to get it on the offensive glass. So uh, so he's an impressive player who uh, you know could really frustrate the Gators because the Gators have been frustrated from guys who are relentless on the offensive glass this season. Yeah, and, and the guy I was mentioning, Horn, only had eight points um, despite playing an equal number of minutes. They, they rely on both of them. Another guy they rely on that just joined them uh, is KD Johnson, uh, a freshman from Atlanta who actually I think played at uh, some – I think he was a prep school guy last year, but uh, he might have played at Hargrave Military Academy. Uh, it was one of the Virginia schools, but, but not, not the one that Keontae Johnson is from. Um, he is a shooter. Uh, very much so, man. Uh, it's hitting 57% of his threes so far. Uh, man. And like, so, so obviously Sharif Cooper for Auburn comes in and is awesome, right? Like we, we know that. Um, but, uh, uh, something that you know may, might be forgotten when he was just you know lighting the world on fire when he uh, when he joined Auburn uh, was the fact that he went against Katie Johnson who also had 21 points that game uh, so they were kind of dueling back and forth and man I mean Katie Johnson I I, I I'm not saying he's as good as Sharif Cooper um, but he he hung with he he hung with him and the thing about Sharif Cooper and we'll get to that when when Florida plays Auburn um, Sharif Cooper not much of a shooter um, Katie Johnson definitely a shooter so you know eight for 14 to start the season from three uh, someone who can can find a shot and can hit it and and for a team that desperately needs it like georgia uh, he'll be an important guy and that's something that's been a little bit of a kind of anomaly for for florida this season is the fact that they have they've just given up a really high percentage um from three in a lot of these in a lot of these games and uh yeah if there's anyone to be uh, to be aware of it's johnson yeah no i mean he can light it up out there and i think their 230th in the country number on three point percentage is gonna improve even more which is something tom cream really wanted it to do with with katie johnson in the fold uh he had 14 in their win over Ole miss they're two and one uh since he's come into the end of the fold here so i think uh you know again just kind of gives them a different element that they didn't have had florida played them even a couple weeks ago uh, the last guy I kind of wanted to mention, because uh, I was impressed with him tonight against uh, Kentucky, even though like he didn't really have a huge offensive game, but he picked up nine rebounds. And that is uh, two camera, who uh, I think started came in and started starting for Georgia late last season, one of their few returning players. And uh, a guy that can block a lot of shots, alters things at the rim, and another tenacious rebounder. 
Yeah, I mean, he's the he's their starting center, a little bit undersized, but like you said, can can block some block some shots. Uh, solid rebounder, plays a little bit a little bit bigger than than you think. And uh, w- once again, I mean, you look at the way that uh, the Florida's games have kind of gone this season. Uh, how the opposing centers um, have played have been have been a kind of big big indicator of how these games are gone have gone. So so I do think for for him, um, I think he's someone who's who's probably going to have a little bit more of uh I, I mean it's crazy like like you you look at him and um I he's someone that I feel like has a little bit more of an impact on the defensive end. But then you just you just look at the end of every game, it seems like he's got like eleven or thirteen points and you're just like man, he he had them had them silently and uh, I, I think part of it too is he just like really loves to let it fly from from three um and shoots terribly. I will look it up here, but yeah, so he's five for 27 on the season for 19% (laughs) and yeah, has, you know, 27 attempts so far this season. So, so he's, he's going to put them up, but uh, so hopefully he doesn't catch fire against the Gators, but, uh, but definitely a pretty interesting player an international player um, that I remember seeing playing for Belgium, like a couple of years back at an under 18 thing. And uh, uh, interesting for Tom Crean, who doesn't as much have a history with those kind of international players, but uh, but yeah, he's a, he's an interesting player. There's no question. No, it's just there. It's a fascinating roster, as I mentioned. I mean, they they signed a huge recruiting class last season, and pretty much like it's pieces from that recruiting class that remain, other than Anthony Edwards, and then the rest of the roster is like a complete overhaul. They just ran everybody else off. <laughs> so you know, Tom Crean finally has these guys, and I think it raised a lot of eyebrows when they started zero and four in the league. People are like, "Wow, this is uh, this is not good." And now, uh, you know, they're they're in a position where they've won two in a row, and they've got the Gators coming to town Saturday, and and they did go undefeated in the non-conference. They didn't play anybody very good, uh, but but certainly, you know, anytime you can run the 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 gauntlet in your non-conference schedule, you appreciate that. Um. And, and then the other thing I would mention about them is that this is a very important game for them in the sense that if they have NCAA tournament ambitions, which of course they do since they haven't won an NCAA tournament game in over a decade, uh, I would imagine that they this is one they really, really need because they are not part of the SEC Big 12 Challenge next weekend. Oh, that's a good point. Yeah, I, I – <laughs> I forgot about that. Um, yeah, that certainly hurts. But uh, yeah, you've got to think after they they rolled through their their cupcake schedule and uh, through the the non conference as they were kind of supposed to. Um, they're kind of thinking, hey, can we kind of hang, finish like sixth in the SEC, and, and hope the SEC gets six bids to the NCAA tournament, and, and hope we're that number. Uh, that that could have been the case, but yeah, they they have a have a tough loss to Mississippi state. You know, you lose to tell us you in double overtime and then lose their way a little bit against Arkansas and, and Auburn. But uh, yeah, they're, they're, they're bringing it back up. And, and again, for a team that does have so many like bizarre, obscure pieces, like you mentioned, Neil makes sense that the, maybe it would uh, take a little bit to gel. And maybe that's why you play a bunch of cupcakes, but uh, man, it's just funny. Sometimes playing teams that are like 300th in Ken Palm um, doesn't actually build the chemistry like it does to actually go play Mississippi State and LSU. So so maybe they're now just starting to, to come together. You, you, we'll, we'll see what they, they do against against Florida. Um, but yeah, they've, they've got to be feeling good. You, you know, you beat Kentucky and they, they know Kentucky hammered the Gators. So, so I'm sure they're going to be confident. And hey, let's hope the Gators feel confident too coming off their win. Yeah, I mean, look, it's, a, it's an opportunity for Florida to snatch a quad two win, um, which, you know, if you told me that at Georgia would have been a quad two win a win a week ago. I would have been like, nah, it's not. It's going to be a bad loss if Florida loses. Now it's it's a bad loss if Florida loses. I think for other reasons, but it's also a chance to to claim what will be a you know a decent resume win. Yeah, it really will. And of course, we're still uh, still waiting to hear the uh, the status of, of Scotty Lewis and uh, and Colin yep. Castleton. Um, I mean, I, I, this is 100% speculation, but the, the fact that it was so late before the game that, uh, that Castleton was ruled out, makes me wonder if like, maybe he was close to playing and it just wasn't there. So, so maybe that was the case. That's again, purely speculation. Um, you got to hope he's back. Um, you know, it could be 100% not related, but, uh, you know, Alex Klatsky was, was on, uh, uh, you know, health and safety protocol at the same time that Scotty Lewis was, um, well, Alex Klatsky was, was able to, was able to play, um, the other night. So, so hopefully that means, that means Lewis is, is close behind. 
Um, so maybe you get both of them back and uh, they can join join the mix. And I'm I'm sure they'll be itching to come back after after seeing that Tennessee game. So, uh, yeah, I mean, for the Gators, it's like, hey, you, you played awesome. You might get a couple guys back that that were starters. Let's uh, let's see if we can start stringing some games together. And uh, and that could obviously be the case. I mean, for for Florida, they, if you, you take care of business against Georgia, then you play Vanderbilt. Um, well, Vanderbilt's uh, Vanderbilt. Um, and then you've got a big game with West Virginia. But if you can get some momentum going into that West Virginia game, um, you come back against South Carolina, you know, you can start to start to see how thing, things can turn after a bit of a rough start to the SEC. Yeah, no, I mean, if Florida, big opportunity for the Gators, get to five and three, playing Vanderbilt on the back end of it next week. Um, certainly think you can take care of business at home against Vanderbilt. Can't take anything for granted the way this Florida season has gone. Uh, but, but I think a big opportunity. And if we're reading the Instagram uh, Insta story tea leaves, the peace out lockdown uh, message from Scotty Lewis uh might be a sign that, that he's finally he's finally free and, and part of the world again. Uh we will see. I think it would be very, very helpful for Florida to have uh his length. Uh, you can you can turn severe wheel wheeler over uh, as good as he is. The other thing you can do um is force him, you know, Florida has has good rim protectors and he does like to drive into the trees and sometimes he gets stuck in there because he's such a little dude. Uh, and I think, like I said, you can turn him over. You can reject his shots. He'll also make like at least three acrobatic layups in this basketball game. I promise you. Well, um, uh, well, of course, too. We had, you know, we had eight blocks from Castleton. We had six blocks from Castleton. We had five blocks from from Payne. Uh, got to keep the streak going somehow. Got to got to get someone with a, with another at least you know five plus block game here. I know it's time for Scotty Lewis to have his uh, <laughs> four blocks and two like get myself up without using my hand moments uh, <laughs> game. We'll see how it goes, but that's our show. Obviously a huge win for the Gators. Can they build on it Saturday? Consistency, the hallmark of this program for so long has been an issue the last few seasons under Michael White. That's why I think in a rare Florida basketball hot hour, hot take, it's a huge game Saturday for the Gators. I just, and, man, man, would it be heartbreaking if they lost it, man? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I'm glad we're on the same page. With yeah. That. And, and on that note, thanks everybody.